Need a new campaign idea for your tabletop role-playing game? Looking to improve your GMing skills or become a better player? Curious about exploring the origins of your favorite races, classes, and creatures? Then check out the Maniculum Podcast, where we show you how to use medieval history to your advantage. We're your hosts, Mac and Zoe, a professional medievalist and a AAA game developer, and together we use modern game design techniques to uncover the origins of your favorite tropes and adventures from medieval manuscripts. In each episode, we explore a new medieval manuscript, its connections to modern TTRPGs, and teach you how to adapt these tales into compelling campaigns and amazing adventures. Whether you're looking to recreate the noble Arthurian tales or incorporate weird and wacky medieval monsters into your campaign, the Maniculum Podcast has you covered. Listen to our fortnightly podcast for free on iTunes, Spotify, or your preferred podcasting app now. Another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And for your favorite podcast, all about the book of Rick, the book, the single book Rick Riordan ever wrote. Damn, that would make this podcast so much fucking easier. I think this would be a six episode podcast <laughs> if like people took a look at Lightning Thief and were like, eh. <laughs> it could be a single episode. Maybe if we're in the parallel universe where he just writes Tres Navare and then quits forever. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, this is, uh, we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're beginning Magnus Chase and the Gods of Asgard with The Sword of Summer. How are you doing today, Jane? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, as ever, uh, the the English version is slightly fucked, and my, my copy is Magnus Chase and the Sword of Summer. That's fucked. It's fucked. They'll they'll get there. I assume they'll get around to updating these ones eventually too. Hopefully, I hmm, I I wonder. I feel like, despite like King Chronicles not being very good or anything, Magnus Chase is the one that you never hear about being like optioned, right? Yeah. There's not like a movie, a Netflix movie in the works. There's not like a fucking uh th- like TV show. None of that. I I don't really know. It seems like it's not. Maybe it's not as popular. Maybe it is. I have no idea. Maybe it's just because it's more tied maybe into it, like the. Maybe it's bad. Maybe it's bad, or maybe because it's more tied in to like the uh, the various things going on, it doesn't have as much like, you know, like it's it's harder to figure out what to do with it. Yeah, it's it's definitely not as standalone so far. Like it it feels much more like a spin off than Kane Chronicles did. Right, which is interesting. We will definitely get into that. Yeah. How are you today, Jacqueline? Yeah, I'm doing okay. I, I, I'm just ready and raring to go. We're, we've been kind of having this nice little streak of just like early recording as, of the main episodes lately. So mm-hmm. it's, it's 2 p.m. for me, and I'm I'm just feeling like a, a chipper young lass. <laughs> Hell yes. I, I'm very glad that you're chipper. Uh, Jane, I believe you wrote the summaries for this week. Do you want to just head I right did. into that? Yes. Chapter 1. Good morning, you're going to die. Magnus Chase is two years into a life on the run. Ever since the mysterious death of his mother, in which he is a suspect, he's been living on the streets of Boston trying to evade cops and social workers. 
When he wakes up one morning under a bridge in public garden, his friend Blitz tells him that someone is looking for him. Not the authorities, but an old guy and his daughter. Magnus goes to investigate and watches from the shadows as Annabeth Chase and her father Frederick walk through the park, each holding flyers with Magnus's face on them. Magnus hasn't seen either of them since he was six years old after an apocalyptic argument at a Thanksgiving dinner, which meant that his mother, Uncle Frederick, and his other uncle, un and his other uncle Randolph never met up again. It turns out that Annabeth and Frederick are in town at the behest of Randolph, who contacted them out of the blue and told them that he needed to find Magnus. Annabeth and her dad are both suspicious, especially because it took Randolph two years to tell them that Magnus's mum died and the kid himself was missing, but they're determined to find him all the same. They'll keep handing out flyers while Randolph checks the city's homeless shelters. Magnus tells the reader that he's been living on the streets, despite Randolph living close to his former home, because his mother told him not to trust the guy before she died. He decides not to call out to Annabeth, since she might be in cahoots with Randolph, and instead resolves to break into the guy's house, since it's certain that he's outdoors at the minute. Magnus is very suspicious of the fact that Randolph is suddenly after him, and thinks his home might contain answers. Chapter 2. The Man with the Metal Bra Randolph lives in the ancestral Chase home, a large brownstone mansion. Magnus breaks in easily, and is creeped out by all the old furniture and Norse artifacts displayed in the house. Unfortunately, there's no useful documents in Randolph's office, and what's worse is that while Magnus is snooping, he glances out the window and sees his other friend, Hearth, warning him to get the hell out of there. Incidentally, Hearth is standing under a statue of a viking named Leif Erikson, whose armour looks a bit like a bra, hence the chapter title. Magnus heeds the warning too late, and is cornered by Randolph in the office. Randolph seems relieved to see Magnus, as today is his 16th birthday, and that means that they are going to kill him. Chapter 3. Don't accept rides from strange relatives. Magnus is surprised for several reasons, including the fact that he had forgotten it was his birthday until now. He's even more caught off guard when Randolph starts talking about the death of Magnus's mother. Magnus remembers a huge pair of wolves coming into their apartment before his mother got him to flee from the fire escape. His mother didn't follow and perished in the fire that consumed the apartment after Magnus left. Nobody else saw the wolves, leaving Magnus as the only suspect. But his uncle Randolph seems to know about the wolves, and knows the murder wasn't committed by him. The bombshells keep on coming as Randolph also tells Magnus that, his, that this is related to the boy's father, who Magnus has never met. Before they can get too into it though, an ominous rumbling shakes the house, and Randolph declares that the people who want to kill Magnus are close, and that they need to go and retrieve Magnus's inheritance. Randolph also reveals that he had a wife and daughters who perished under mysterious circumstances. Against his better judgement and curious about his father, Magnus decides to stick with Randolph and get in his car. Chapter 4. Seriously, the dude cannot drive. Once on the road, Randolph starts rambling about Norse history and mythology, especially the limited exploration and colonisation of North America by the Vikings in the 1000s. He believes that Boston is founded on what was once a Viking settlement, an assertion which cost him a position as a professor and which got his family killed when they came with him on a seagoing expedition to look for evidence of sunken longboats. Randolph believes the captain of these explorers was a child of the Norse god Skirnir, and that Magnus, as another child of a Norse god, can retrieve the weapon that the Norse lost when they first came to Boston. Chapter 5. I've always wanted to destroy a bridge. They arrive at Longfellow Bridge, where Randolph believes the weapon, which is Magnus's inheritance, is. He orders Magnus to try and call it from the water, but the ominous rumbling starts up again, this time accompanied by billowing smoke and fire which is moving towards them. Magnus manages to pull something from the water. Randolph is very excited, but the sword is so degraded that Magnus can't even tell the tip from the tang. At this point, the source of the rumbling arrives, an ominous, besuited man named Sirt, emanating waves of fire that start melting all the stuff on the bridge. 
He looks at Magnus and offers the boy a simple trade, the sword for his life. Chapter 6. Make way for ducklings or they will smack you upside the head. The standoff is broken when Magnus's friends, Blitz and Hearth, rush in from stage left and attack Cert with toys they've stolen. Blitz calls Cert not just any fire giant, but the Black One, seemingly indicating that he knows a lot more about the situation than... <laughs> for some reason I've written Magnus's name as Carter there. <laughs> for some reason. The assault is about as effective as you'd think, and Magnus tells the two to get back and take Randolph with them while he faces down Cert with his rusty shit heap of a sword. So, Jacqueline, what did you think of these chapters? I... Did you say from the... Can't tell the tip from the tang at one point? Yeah. Is that like a crude genitals reference? No. No, no oh? the tang of the tang of the sword is like the uh, metal bit that goes into the hilt. Oh, okay. I... So, when I, when I was young, when I was a young child, I, I heard at one point that people call people you know you know you can of course imagine what people would say about tip but also uh-huh. I, I i heard tang as like you know like ah oh, pussy you know <laughs> oh yeah so i i guess that makes more sense what you said but i was fucking flabbergasted <laughs> i i liked them i i, I had fun with them yeah i i enjoyed this I'm excited to get into a new series. It feels fresh. It feels new. Mostly feels fresh. Uh, and I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested on where this is going. I was like filled with fear and dread after the first few chapters of the Kane Chronicles, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Uh, I am not filled with fear and dread after having read these. These are very solid. No. Yeah. I, I, it has a strong premise that seems to be just jumping right into. Fucking no no gimmicks no fucking about with the perspective just first person narrating to the reader the shit that rick is comfortable with and good at yeah i i don't know why sort of summer also is such a nice title for a book i feel like you that's, yeah there's a great like assonance to it and it doesn't feel there i don't know it doesn't feel like a rick riordan title in a way that makes me like oh this is this is different you know what i mean yeah yeah like it's very traditional like the blank of blank but Mm-hmm. it's the word usage for me um, a blank of blank and blank of course of course uh <laughs> i i have a couple of like extra novelic things that i i want to talk about here uh-huh. um i i decided to look at rick riordan's blog around the time the, this book got published Ooh, okay when was this published actually so this was published in tw- i believe it was 2015 mm-hmm sort of mid 2015 i believe maybe maybe sort of later maybe in summer perhaps perhaps in summer but you know he he does some posts back then he was doing like monthly like here's stuff i've been reading i was reading tanahisi coats i was reading uh nk jemison i was reading uh fucking the martian all that shit uh-huh. uh he he did a little column like here's some great middle grade books with non-white characters he also did a, a funny little blog post called a weekend with the presidents Huh? It was an unusual weekend. We went to New York to kick back, see some shows, hang out with Percy, visit Mount Olympus, etc. You know, the usual <laughs> tourist stuff. Um, uh-huh. And it turns out that he had, uh, he and I believe his wife had gone on Saturday to see Hamilton. Oh, Jesus. Uh, uh, I taught American history for six years. I'm a sucker for revolutionary lore. I figured, sure. Um, and so they, they go and... 
on their way, they see barricades, they see police, they see snipers on the roofs around oh, uh, God. the building. And they realize that... <laughs> And he writes, so, okay, I figured the president was passing through Manhattan. That's the only thing it can be. And I had been obama to once before, completely unable to move through the city the pre- because the president's route cra- caught across Manhattan. Uh, and it turns out that, yeah, he's, go- he's also going to see Hamilton, President Obama, the same day. <laughs> and so Rick just writes this, like writes this big post about how he really liked uh hamilton and but he kept getting nervous because he thought that the secret service was going to shoot his wife um <laughs> and you know he's uh when king george talked about all the presidents seeming small after george washington i half expected obama to jump up and engage him in a rap throwdown like the other characters on stage were doing jesus uh, he he he's he says he's a big fan uh, it, it, you know, the casting of uh, African-American and Latino actors as George Washington, Jefferson, Hamilton, Burr, etc. gives an incredible depth to their personalities. Uh, it, 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 That's, it, does he gives, it? He gives the stock sort of like, wow, uh, love Thomas Jefferson, love King George. Uh, uh, uh-huh. no matter, he's, and he ends it by saying, whatever your politics, you should try to see this play. And... I don't know. I I just thought that was a. We should keep this in mind as like this is the time it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. This this is like the height of liberal hubris right before uh-huh. <laughs> right before fucking Trump gets elected. I yeah yeah. It's kind of horrifying <laughs> in that sense. Um, Both things are horrifying. Yeah. This book also ways. starts with it. This book. Did you notice the dedication? I did notice this. Could you, Dedicated could you... to Cassandra Clare. Can you explain to the readers who Cassandra Clare is? Uh, off the top of my head, isn't she... She started out as a Harry Potter fanfic writer who then kind of moved into uh, writing like her own published fiction. Yeah, the the Mortal Instruments series, I yeah. believe. Uh, also been accused of plagiarism at least a few times, I believe. Uh, <laughs> it, I, I don't know why. It was so striking to just see this name at the start. Like, Thank you to Cassandra Clare for letting me use the name Magnus too. Or something like that. Yeah, like you, do, you don't have to. I mean, I assume you're friends or something, but you don't have. You, it, there are lots of names in this world. People. Are... <laughs> Can you imagine if this had come out a couple of years later? <laughs> it was like, thank you to my good friend Travis McElroy for letting me use the name Magnus. <laughs> oh, I hope they're. I think that'd be so funny if they were friends. <laughs> Fuck. Listen, the the, the Lin Manuel Miranda connection is there. Oh my god, you're right. Do we we just want to go through this kind of chronologically? How do we want to do this? I think so. Uh, I think so. A lot lot happens in these chapters. Yeah, banger opening paragraphs, I have to say. Yes. Magnus just immediately establishing his voice. He's just saying, like, hey, you know, I I die. He immediately is like, what what the fuck does he say exactly? Uh... Yeah, I know. You guys are going to read about how I died in agony. You're going to be like, wow, that sounds cool, Magnus. Can I die in agony too? No, just no. Uh, he just, he goes, it's, he, my name was Magnus Chase. I'm 16 years old. This is a story of how my life went downhill after I got myself killed. Great way to start your fucking series. Immediately the threat of death is hanging over the whole thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for, for the entire, for the, Every time something happened in these chapters, I was sure that it was going to be the moment when Magnus fucking bites it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you keep thinking he's about to be fucking skewered. 
we also in in this opening we get to see like uh homeless characters in a rick ryden book who he's not instantly openly contemptuous towards which is a nice change of pace i think it is i have to wonder about this rick rick has written magnus he's he's homeless you know he he's run away not not really run away from home but like is is he did run away from home but it was because it exploded Uh uh-huh um (laughs) but he magnus is homeless and rick riordan we've criticized him constantly for how he has like rhetorically deployed homelessness throughout Mm -hmm. the series i have to wonder if like do you think he heard any of that from other people while those books were being written and that influenced him here uh i would like to think so we've 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 seen him like course correct on some shitty stuff before i would like to believe that he is this is another thing of him trying to like row back on some stuff yeah, and I think that it's not... This is a unique position for, like, a Rick Riordan protagonist to begin a story in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, usually they are, you know, they're going to school. They're, you know, sort of... Li- there are some aspects of, like, socially normal life that they f- are facing a disconnect from. Uh, like, but that they are still participating in. You know, I and think, that's... Uh-huh. I think the character, again, it reminds me most of right out of the gate is Tres Navarre. Well, like yeah. Trez is not homeless, but he's kind of a bum. Yeah, like he he is moving between places in a way. He is he's yeah. barely making rent. He is like economically like disadvantaged in that way. Uh, and uh, like it's not like, unusual for just like you know protagonists in these like young adult series or fantasy series or anything like that to be homeless necessarily i don't think it's usually written like i don't want to say this is like necessarily realistic but i think that there is an eye toward realism that rick riordan is taking with us it it is not dodging the fact that like magnus like steals food and picks people's pockets to make ends meet and it's also like not not condemning him for that i think I, I it might it might come around later if someone's like you did these sins in your life or whatever, but Magnus' justification that like he steals things from rich people because he figures they can afford it seems perfectly reasonable to me. No, definitely, yeah, and I like that this is like we're still getting that thing of like person who is marginalized, but kind of in a much greater way than we've seen before, like, mm-hmm. and. Like this is this is not just someone who doesn't who is made to not fit into like school or you know camp or anything like that. It's someone who yeah. just has been completely like removed from having a place in society. Magnus talks a lot here about like how he is like feels invisible, like how people just will pass by and ignore him. Like he can tell mm-hmm. m- maybe they it's through contempt, maybe it's because they pity him. But either way, they will try to avoid him and pretend he's not there. Yeah. And, I really like that. I like that. I don't know. This is a Rick, Rick Riordan's doing something here that I appreciate. Yeah. You know who else I appreciate in a Rick Riordan book? What's that? Annabeth Chase. Annabeth Chase. Or as soon as you read those words, there was a blonde girl in an orange t-shirt. You're like, that's fucking Annabeth. Annabeth spotted. Hell fucking yeah. This is, this is, this is what I say when I mean when I say that this is like, uh, feels like more of a spinoff. Because mm-hmm. this feels like this feels like every spinoff of Doctor Who, where like in the pilot episode the Doctor will show up for five minutes at the end, like the character the character you recognizes here and then hands it off to the rest of the cast for the rest of the time. 
Yeah, this is this is the Flash. This is the Flash where like you see <laughs> at like the end of episode one, he runs over to fucking Starling City to be like, uh, Oliver, I just don't know if I can do this, man. And Oliver's like, Listen, I've been a hero in my city for a year now. You can be a hero in your city with your own unique abilities. And it's it's like it's that exact kind of thing because Annabeth isn't here for long, right? Um, yeah her and her dad being here is kind of a a running threat almost more than anything yeah uh but you only get a glimpse of her like having a discussion like you you only get a glimpse of her talking like once um and it's more just like another instance of magnus being like all right well this is something for like this is not the life that i'm living right now i can't just go talk to fucking annabeth and frederick yeah and i also think there's like there's a very neat move being done here where, like, Rick Ryden kind of, like, gets us on the same wavelength as Magnus by, like, he gets us into his head by, like, um, he leverages the fact that, like, you know, we've read the other Percy Jackson books, we like Annabeth, we want to see more of Annabeth. Uh, and we also know from those that, like, Annabeth has been homeless and also knows what it's like to be, like, the child of a god. And so we are, like invested in magnus's situation because we want him to go and talk to her yeah both because we want more annabeth content and also because we know that she would like get this and be able to help him yeah Uh, i think that's just it's it's a neat way of like using a cameo not just to be gratuitous but to like get us instantly engaged with like the fact that magnus is fucking up and about to get himself killed right there's this great scene later on where he's remember he's uh entered into his uncle's house and he's remembering like when he and Annabeth used to play uh, quote unquote dominoes together. Um, mm-hmm. And like, she just talks, she, at one point she just mentions like, I'm going to run away from home. Like I can't do this anymore. Uh, and he like, rem- he like remembers that. And for the first time realizes like, Hey, I think that she was serious. Like I mm-hmm. like that. That's great. I-, I do agree. Like, I think that Rick Riordan is taking like, He's he's still being a, a bit he a bit silly with it, right? Uh, I think I think mm. you can see that in the characters of Hearth and Blitz. Yeah, uh, which, which do these these characters kind of veer closer to like, haha, wacky homeless guy. Yeah, very much so. That is, uh, I think at one point Blitz gets described as like a like stout homeless vampire ninja. Yeah. And you know he he likes to talk about like how silly they look, how funny their clothes are, uh, and uh, he, mm-hmm. he describes Hearth as looking like he's cosplaying an anime character, yeah. which is terrifying to me to imagine that Rick Ryder knows what anime is. <laughs> yes, it is horrifying. Absolutely, <laughs> he he does his research. He does his research, I, but also these characters are like for maybe the first time. Like, when you see a character who's described like this in a Rick Riordan novel, they're, like, given incredible empathy. Like, these are characters with yeah. a great position in the story. They are, uh, they're described, like, multiple times as, like, his mom and dad, Magnus's, like, mom and dad, on like, while he's mm-hmm. being home, while he's homeless. And they're acting in this role that I think we've, well, well, we see this a bit more later on, but they're acting in this role of, like, kind of a Grover situation. Yeah, the, the the hints that we get dropped about, like, um, Blitz maybe knowing more about this ice giant than he's letting on, this fire giant or whatever the fuck, uh, is very much, like, here is the mysterious protector who you think is just, like, a wacky person who you hang around with, but actually, like, knows what's going on. Yeah, it's a, it's, 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 it's the Seder thing, you know, it's Coach Hedge, 
It's, yeah. it's all that. It, and I think what this actually really captures to me is that I I don't know what's going on with Hearth and Blitz. Uh, I haven't read the next few chapters yet where I assume it'll maybe some more of it will get explained. Mm-hmm. But I my guess is that this is Rick Ryden really leaning into like the gods will wander, right? They will mm-hmm. they will take unassuming form. I feel like this is one you hear especially a lot in like Norse mythology. As yeah, well as Odin mythology. especially does this a shitload. Yeah, like they will take an unassuming pitiful human form and however you treat them will determine like your fate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, that that's really what this reminds me of because they are, you know, given this like magical larger than life air to them as well. Uh, Do you think, uh do you think Rick Ryden like tripped over a homeless guy and it turned out to be a Norse God and that's what's kind of prompted this change of heart. (laughs) He's repenting for his previous sins. I think it's possible. I, <laughs> you know, Rick Riordan seems like the type of guy uh, to just, I don't know. This is a hilarious change from like, not change, but this is a hilarious shift in your perspective because while we were covering the heroes of Olympus near the end of blood of Olympus, I think I want to say it's Percy. No, it might've even been the demigods and magicians. I think it's Percy who says like, you know, if he was a homeless guy on the street, I would have given him my change. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, he, Percy is, like, describing, I think, Neckbet like that in Demigods and Magicians. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Uh, and this is... We're, we're shifting perspective. We're now seeing the, the guy... We're, we're seeing from the eyes of the guy who Percy is giving the change to. Mm-hmm. I, I'm especially interested in, like... I want to... The, the way that, like, Magnus is a character who quote-unquote like doesn't have to be homeless right Mm -hmm. it's it's made clear in like the second chapter that like technically if he wanted to and felt like safe doing so he could like live in this rich guy's house right yeah uh what do you think about that like do you do you feel like that changes this significantly Uh, i think at the minute i don't think it does i do worry that like later on rick is gonna maybe like try and draw a distinction between like magnus who is nobly homeless by choice and just like a fucking lazy bum who won't get a job he's not done that yet but i'm like acutely aware that this is something he might pull i hope not i i would say i think this actually might be doing something kind of smart here i want to give rick ryan the nod for you know tepidly sort of like temporarily i will i will give him the nod because i think this Mm -hmm. is actually kind of like magnus chase himself is not wealthy right yeah he he doesn't own anything he doesn't have anything he doesn't have any like inheritance or anything like that but he He has a busted up sword as his inheritance yes exactly but he very technically uh belongs to like this family that is rich potentially his mom was also rich even um or like have the like the potential to be rich you know what i mean yeah it seems like she like deliberately did not partake of any of that because they lived in like a little one bedroom apartment above a korean place i think uh, yeah like a korean barbecue place or something like that yeah uh and what this there, there's really something interesting being done with the economic positions here where maybe his mom wasn't rich but she had this family that she could fall back on right yeah magnus doesn't really have that same connection because he hasn't been like he doesn't have that active relationship with his family and mm-hmm. his mom is dead now um, yeah. So I I think this is actually like the fact that even though he is like a step removed from all this wealth and like rich and like power and security, 
and but he is a kid who is like he's a kid who is marginalized right this is it's yeah. so easy to become it's so easy to fall out of this it's so easy to fall out of society and i think mm. that like by pointing out that you know you are closer to, at any point in your life to being unhoused than you are to being rich um yeah Rick Riordan gesturing here to that, I think really works. Um, and the fact that like one of the primary things that, you know, sometimes like homeless kids, like the reason that they don't feel like they can go to anything is because they're running from like an abusive situation. Or, yeah, definitely. Uh, like, just, like they, maybe there is family, but they don't feel safe going to that family. And that's kind of what Magnus is dealing with here. He doesn't feel safe yeah. going to live with his uncle. Uh, and I, I think that is honestly like pretty smart of Rick Riordan to do, to, to like, portray the situation as yeah definitely uh, should we should we talk a bit more about randolph because this is this is a fun this is a funny little guy he really is the the family dynamics here in so many directions are just off the charts this uh, is this is why we simply never see families actually interacting in rick Ryden books because apparently it would always be this fucking rancid uh-huh so so give us the randolph minute like so Randolph is kind of introduced as very much the like creepy, estranged, wealthy uncle like archetype. Like if if he died tomorrow, Magnus would like be left the house in the will and have to stay there for a single night in order to inherit it and be like haunted or something. Uh huh. And he's like this basically this like insane recluse who uh, believed in too much pseudo history and got kicked out of a pretty decent teaching job. I think Harvard. I think so, yeah. And now spends all of his time just, like, chasing down esoteric historical bullshit, which he thinks Magnus now factors into. And that's the only reason he's looking for him, is, like, entirely out of self-interest. Yeah. And I think this characterization combined with him just being, like, a lifelong Boston guy really makes (laughs) for, like, a well-fleshed-out, multidimensional, kind of hilarious character. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, just, like, the... I'm I'm so glad we have chapter titles back for one thing. I think this is so I I'm so happy that I'm not just reading fucking a number and then the character's perspective it's from. Yes, I don't accept rides from strange relatives. Seriously, the dude cannot drive is so funny. <laughs> like Randolph as this like creepy mysterious guy, and also he's the bad Boston driver. Is- <laughs> who i have fucking encountered a million times since moving to massachusetts i will say uh <laughs> people in massachusetts use their turn signal like it's a fucking perry and street fighter i <laughs> like i it, it's so funny um rick Ryden loves funky magic uncles doesn't he he really do- this guy is like evil uncle amos yeah yeah exactly <laughs> He's got the it, he's got like the mansion in an area near New York and everything. Yeah, oh god. It's really funny. Um it's hard to tell how like Uncle Amos at the beginning was portrayed as sinister, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um in the in the Kane Chronicles if you're just jumping on here. Uh he was portrayed as sinister and then eventually was revealed to be a more like you know, there there were problems in the first book with him, but generally he was an empathetic sort of uh a parental figure he was a very just like chilled out and relaxed dude and like when when we first meet the character that kind of comes off as him being kind of cold i i have to wonder if a turn like that is going to happen with randolph because he seems 
less sinister and more just outwardly like I don't know how to describe it. He seems he, more uh uh-huh. He doesn't seem evil, he just seems like kind of a shithead. Yeah, in a way that doesn't feel like there can be as big of a turn, right? Yeah. Like, it feels like this is the dude that he is. Like, this is the dude that he's made himself into through, like, his family dying and deciding that, like, the reason I give a fuck about this kid is so I can, like, prove my crackpot theories wrong. <laughs> or correct, rather. Prove all my for- prove all my former um, uh, uh, co-workers wrong, actually, is the thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll show those co-workers and also that storm that killed my family. <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll get this theory published. Yeah, and... He, I, I think that this has a lot of interesting potential for him to not be someone Magnus can, like, rely on in that way. I kind of hope mm-hmm. it goes that direction. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, I mean, he, this is clearly such a consistent pattern of behavior for him that, like, before she died, Magnus's mother was also like, hey, don't fucking trust this dude. He's shady. Yeah, I, I'm very curious about that. I'm really curious about, like, that, that being, like, one of the last things she said to him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if we're going to get that, like, I want more insight into that because, like, she said that and he was the only person that Magnus ostensibly could have gone to to, like, live a, like, secure life, right? Yeah. Um, I, I wonder if we'll get more insight into, like, why she did that slash, like, I wonder if that will be problematized at any point. Mm. Because right now, we're, I, the, like dead single mother we're we're getting okay we're getting the jaded cynical snarky boy with the mysterious father the single quirky mom who dies at the beginning of the story in a fire in a fire <laughs> um we're back to supernatural no we're back to uh we're, we're back to uh like this is percy jackson right i Ma- i was thinking this is leo oh oh you're right yeah he is, is both. <laughs> no, I think Leo's actually closer. Um, but Magnus is Magnus is really looking like a lot of other Percy Jackson characters. I guess is what I mean. Definitely, this this is there. There are archetypes and tropes that Rick Ryden likes to go back to. But part of me is like, I guess that's what makes me wonder how much like she will be the noble dead mother, right? Mm. Uh, like will that will that be all we know of her? And if if it is, I think I'd be kind of disappointed. I think so because I mean, even if that trope wasn't a little bit disappointing on its own, we already had that with Leo. So I think it would be interesting if we like make her a bit more flawed. Maybe like I don't know if maybe saying "Don't go, Uncle Randolph" was like a mistake or a misunderstanding, and like Magnus has to grapple with the fact that because of that, he was fucking homeless for two years. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of Randolph, his fucking weird house. <laughs> this house is so fucking creepy. It's, he's like going, I feel like I'm like dungeon crawling when I read his thing. Like, I, I fucking, feel like I'm like, uh-huh. Magnus is playing an immersive sim. <laughs> yes. He's found an alternate entrance. He gets in, he eats some food to restore his health. And then he like looks for a terminal to hack or some documents to read in Randolph's office. It's really funny. <laughs> and the whole time we're just getting these descriptions of the Brownstone is like uninhabitable to human life, right? <laughs> like this is not a place any like human being could live. Uh, and this is also where we get, like you said earlier, like Magnus sort of describing himself as like the righteous thief. Yeah, um, definitely. One of the th- one of the. Uh, 
interactable items that Magnus finds uh, <laughs> that reminds him of that gives him a flashback to his past is the the mysterious dominoes. Yeah, he picks this up and he's able to like th- uh, rotate the three D model with the uh, analog stick, and then when he puts it down, a cutscene plays showing him his past. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this is this is creepy. I think the sequence is really creepy. Yeah, definitely. Just like something about the realization that as children he and annabeth were playing with not dominoes but something that like appeared to be dominoes to them but actually had these like nordic runes scrawled into them that that's horror movie shit it's horror movie shit and especially like the fact that magnus this is not like a magical obfuscation that was happening magnus is just like oh i'd always assumed they were dominoes and the memory just kind of reinforced itself over time and i think just like giving the reader a little tapper reminding you that your memory is actually extremely fallible uh, is way more horrifying than any magic shit could have been. Oh, definitely, definitely. Like, if he had to peer through the mist or whatever to understand yeah. what they actually were, that would be way worse. Mm-hmm. Um, then he turns around after his flashback and sees uh, Leif Erikson. Just hanging out there with his metal bra, I guess. Uh, a funny statue. D- Jane, could I tell you what the funniest thing in the world is? What's the funniest thing in the world, Jacqueline? It's it's man wearing bra. It's this is so true. Man wearing woman clothes, funny. Funny, haha. Lol. This is I, I, this is like the foundation of British comedy, is laughing at a dude wearing a dress. Yes, no. This is Magnus being like, wow, really? Me and my mom used to joke that it looked like Leif Erikson was wearing a bra in that statue, and then. <laughs> And then being like, wow, Randolph was really inspired by this dude wearing women's clothes. He's, man, maybe he is a, like a genuine masshole. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Magnus does seem like a little bastard so far, but I'm mostly endeared to him. Yeah. There was actually a funny commercial that came out of Massachusetts recently that was, um, yeah, I can't drive. Yeah, I, I drink my Dunkin' every. I drink my Dunkin' Donuts every day. I, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm abrasive. I watch my football. Uh, but I, but, but you know, transgender children are being targeted every day, and we can't let that happen. We have to pass this bill to protect trans people. Be a masshole, not an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it's the funniest fucking thing in the world. Um, that's extremely good. It was good. Uh, and that's that's when uh, we meet Hearth for the first time too. Hmm. We see Hearth, who is sort of the the other Magnus uh, Magnus dad. Uh, Magnus just has a whole gaggle of parents in his life right now. Uh, I think it's it's very funny that like Rick Ryan seems to be like stepping very carefully around saying that Magnus has two dads in the yeah. series after he introduced a gay main character. No, you're right, right, like because he <laughs> says that like they're his mom and dad, right? Yeah, that is very explicitly what he says. Um, and we learned that Magnus learned some ASL while being homeless. I mean, I I thought this was because um, Hearth was uh, deaf and only communicates with ASL. Yeah, no, exactly what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like he he like picked that up while uh, you know living in Boston, living on the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's actually pretty interesting because like often one of the things that will coincide with homelessness is you know disability. Uh-huh, uh definitely not being able not you know not being able to find a job that will you can accommodate properly etc etc a million different yeah. things this is and then then randolph shows up randolph fucking teleports in behind him uh did you know jane that 
sometimes people forget their birthdays, and that means that you live a very frantic life. Sometimes this happens. I I feel like this has happened like five or six times in Required in books so far. Like this, <laughs> the scene of the main character being like, I I looked at the clock and realized it's been my birth. It like it just turned my birthday. I realized it's been my birthday all day, and I didn't realize. Like I feel like this is like the world's most common beat that he does. I listen. It's it's hard. Sometimes you simply forget about these things. Oh, absolutely true. Uh, uh wait. Today's not your birthday, is it? No. That was last week. Yeah, I was like, no, I wasn't trying to like. <laughs> Wait, I wasn't trying to be I, like, hey, Jacqueline, you asshole, you forgot my birthday. We recorded on on my birthday last week. No, I I know. <laughs> I part of me was just like, wait a second, what if it's Jane's birthday again? <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. You got uh one year minus a week before you need to worry about it again. Okay, okay, okay. Uh. I was like, what if he, last week wasn't Jane's birthday and I got that wrong? <laughs> uh, we get some of the common, you know, age 16, it's the year of maturity, it's the year of adulthood, it's the year when people start wanting to kill you. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is, we, we, I guess we've talked about Randolph mostly. Um, he, I, I like the fact that he also has a just dead family. Like, I find it incredible that Magnus didn't know about this. Yeah. Like I guess I guess it makes sense that maybe like Randolph is like the oldest of the Chase siblings. So like maybe he like he had this family in his twenties and they died then. So it was like before Magnus was born and he just doesn't know them. Man, they're really all named like that, huh? Huh? Like Randolph, Frederick, Magnus, Annabeth. Why are all the Chase family named like shit? Uh, they, they, they are named after nerds because they're a family of fucking nerds, apparently. It's so, like, I mean, not, it's not, it, uh-huh. Because, I mean, like, you know, Randolph taught at Harvard. We know that uh, Annabeth's dad is a history professor. Uh, Magnus talks about how, like, his mom was like, oh, you're so smart. One day you'll go to Harvard. Yeah, I, I should say they're not named like shit, but they're all named so pretentiously. It's fun. It's hilarious. <laughs> I, God, yeah. Yeah, the fact that, like, he just didn't know about this entire second... I think that's actually... That's another element of, like, the family dynamics, that like, the Chase family dynamics that I'm finding really compelling here. Yeah. Uh, like, the memories of the cousin who you played with sometimes, who you don't really recognize, like, only half recognize now. Mm. Like, the, the like, m- fights that you never really could get the full context of because it seemed like they were built off years and years of fights that had already happened. Yeah. Um, like... That's really, I think that's good, just like family dynamic writing in a way that we only usually get the opportunity to have in uh, like these Riordan verse books so far. Yeah, because like again, the f- the family is usually like an estranged Olympian, and like there is years of family drama there. But also, if you pick up a history book, you'll probably or a mythology book, you'll probably be able to figure it out. Yeah, I think this actually calls back more to uh, Trace Navarre, where mm. like the the family dynamics there are like taught like a fucking chord. You can like. You can trip over that and cut your leg off. You know what I mean? <laughs> and indeed sort of you can a... if you're Garrett. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, and, like, this is a slightly more, like, toned down for kids version of that, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. Randolph's position here is just, like, the guy who will sacrifice anything to pursue his conspiracy theory is really interesting. <laughs> Because, like, he is correct, right? 
Yeah, Mag- it turns out that you can put Magnus on the the bridge and he will get a fucking sword out of the water. But I don't... There's something that... And th- there's something so odd to me, and not necessarily odd, I'm sure this has happened before in the books, but something so like, what a weird move to make. We're the big conspiracy theory guy who has hurt a lot of people and was pushed out of academia it turns out he was right. This is a very common, like, <laughs> kind of conservative story, I feel like. This, yeah, and it does, it, tie, it ties into, the, like, a lot of the stuff that um, Randolph is talking about, being, like, this, I, I, I looked into this a little bit, and, like, conservative, like, Protestants especially, apparently, for some reason, like, really like to, like, forge relics that show that, like, um, Norse explorers went further south than just like the, the very tip of Canada and like oh no they actually you know they they came all the way down into what, what is the US today and we're kind of building on this proud Norse legacy and that is kind of the space intentionally or not that Rick is playing in and that Randolph is like endorsing no definitely and that he is validated in right yeah like this is this is Rick Riordan like googling like okay what have people been saying about like you know Norse gods in America okay so this is an origin point okay I'll just pull that Right. Where we've kind of come back around to um, uh, the thing with uh, like Frank's family, where like the completely pseudo historical idea of like the uh, Roman prisoners being taken to China. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like this is such like there is such an American um, sensibility to all of this of like mm-hmm. the important group or person who like we really like who we really, like, valorize or, um, like, believe to be this great, like, ancestor to us had to have come to, uh, you know, the United States of America, or where the United yeah. States of America is. This goes from, you know, Protestants, uh, you know, actually there's a lot of Protestantism in this. There, This goes from, you know, the <laughs> Norse all the way to Jesus walked among us. Uh, and uh, Mormons. Yeah, all the way to the Mormons is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, this is this is incredible. This is the American Protestant, like I, I, an under talked about American Protestant thing. I think. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he he drops like an absolutely um, a kind of weak line. I think at this point in mm-hmm. like it feels like it's supposed to be sort of a wham line, but it it's it falls very flat in just the face of like how many books we've read at this point, where. Uh, Magnus says, like, but this is all just a myth. And Randolph turns to him and says, myths are simply stories about truths we've forgotten. Like, as if that's supposed to be, like, the most powerful thing in the world. Annabeth, if she was in the car, would be, like, checking her watch at this point. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> he He's baby's first... Uh, he He's reading The Lightning Thief for the first time, right? Yeah. And, I mean, I guess it makes sense, because, like, you don't need to know who Annabeth is. You, you could read this standalone as, like, your first tip, dipping your toe into, like, Raiden mythology stuff. You certainly could. And I... But I... I I guess I just don't find it that impactful of, like, an idea. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah, myths represent truths of, you know, people from who the people who created those myths. The, they, you know, they have, they were created for a reason. We got that. That was, we talked, we, I, I yeah. don't know. It, it seems kind of just, like, on its face true at this point in a way that, like, doesn't hold any greater significance to me. Yeah, definitely. This car ride is really good. 
I do. I do enjoy like the the the, the comedic rhythm of like Randolph saying increasingly insane shit to Magnus, and Magnus keeps trying the door to get out uh-huh. and keeps asking to be dropped off, and Mag and uh, Randolph just ignores him. It's like yeah, it's I really I funny. A, I think I have an appointment on this street. Uh, you can just see the, you can let me out here. It's fine, man. <laughs> yeah, I can walk. Um, he. Like, the humor of it sort of being, I think it's solidified by, Magnus himself makes this comparison sort of broadly. You can tell that he's been in this situation a lot. Like, mm-hmm. condescending adult, like, looking at him with both, like, concern and, like, sort of just, like, derision and all sorts of, like, things. Like, this is him being in the cop car. This is him being in the social worker car. But, and he's, like... I, I think that's like really comes through that this is like yeah the primary Magnus I feel fucking trapped and don't know what to do um, mm-hmm. mode in a way that I really I think come like I really like how that's done I think that's a pretty pretty good yeah thing. definitely I yeah I, I I enjoy that like it kind of underscores how unsafe he feels with Randolph that he does draw that comparison to like being picked up by cops. Who, you know, if they figure out who he is, will charge him with murdering his mom. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then and then how this chapter ends. God, yeah. Well, I think we said at the end of in our retrospective on the Heroes of Olympus that we were, you know, we'd seen demigods, we'd seen mag- we'd seen magicians, we wanted to, you know, maybe see a different type of main character. Nah, demigod again. <laughs> Demi God again. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't it have been so cool if Magnus was just some guy? If he was just like I don't know, a fucking Norse witch or something. A Norse witch. I guess that's or, just magicians again, but whatever. Or just like I don't know, some guy who can interact with these things, right? Mm-hmm. Like he can see through it and like can fight. I don't know. He can do some shit. I we haven't seen where this is going with what it even means to be a demigod yet. Like yeah. It, it might be a completely could, different thing to, like, being a Greek demigod. Right, because Greek and Roman demigods are positioned very differently. Uh, like, first from each other, but also, like, that is a social status of, like, you are someone who goes on quests. You are someone who has a community, right? Like You have uh, a certain degree of status as, like, the bastard child of a god. Yeah, and you will find others like you. We don't know we don't know yet if there is a like Norse demigod camp, right? We know we know about precisely one other one who died a thousand years ago. Yeah. So, I will be interested to see how Rick Riordan like differentiates what it means to be a demigod here. I, I desperately hope that there's not just another fucking summer camp. <laughs> the sort of summer camp. <laughs> I like that they don't just assign like the importance of the Norse came here uh, to to Boston. They go so far as to say that the axis of all worlds is in Boston. Yeah, the implication seems to be that like the the Norse came here specifically looking for some kind of magical artifact or something, and it happened to be located in where Boston is now. This, Which yeah, is, to me. A, I don't know, it's a fascinating idea to me, especially considering that we have previously viewed these, like, these, like, godly cultures as, like, you kind of, the people who live in a place construct them around that place, 
So the idea that like magic stuff is coming out of the Norse pantheon that is like in the Americas, which the Norse didn't even know about, is very strange to me. It may, it changes it, right? It changes it from like these are gods born of a culture who then go on to try and persist, who go on to try and like live infinitely. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, this is something that is like of the world itself and like yeah. of the of the stuff of reality that people are going out and trying to interact with in that way. Yeah. That's a cool flip. I also just think it's so funny. I, I, I think what's being suggested here, if my like cursory knowledge of Norse mythology understands anything, is that like the trunk, the base of the world tree is in Boston. Um, that's, it, that's it's my, definitely something world tree related. That's my guess. Um, and then we, then we get to all the magic stuff starts happening. All the magic stuff starts happening. And you know what really stood out to me when the magic stuff started happening? What's that? Uh, the same thing that we really preached about demigods and magicians, which is that this is some fucking urban fantasy. Yes. The, there's this fucking fire giant running around on this bridge, and there's, like, normal-ass people having to get out of his way before they get set on fire. <laughs> this is horrifying. This is, like, we are getting these explicit descriptions of, like, how the people on the bridge, like, some of them, like, their cars are melting one of them like has a baby like is pushing a baby in a stroller and like she passes out from the heat and the baby is still there crying it describes like the heat getting so intense that like the wheels on the stroller start melting and there's like some asshole standing next to them like not even trying to help and is just like trying to film it with on his phone it's this is this is good yeah This this is just straight up really good Norse Norse fucking gods or mythological people are so much more willing to just appear and do things in the world, it seems like. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any kind of mechanism like the mist or the duot, which is stopping normal people from seeing what's going on here. Yeah. I... Which I part of me wonders if like maybe that is to make it easier to like maybe slot Annabeth easier into the story later on. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. I think that's I think that's possible. I wonder how big of a role she'll have because she shows up in like chapter one or two and then she doesn't show up again, right? Yeah. She uh, maybe what maybe it was just an opening cameo. I do think it would be extremely funny if she's like the only people who person who knows about all of these mythologies and she can't tell anyone. Yes, yeah, that'd be really good. Like I, I don't know. Like I, I I'm imagining like e- either she goes. Like I think it'd be funny if she like became a main character here and like had to um just had to keep quiet and couldn't say anything about all about all the greek gods <laughs> oh that'd be really good actually or else maybe she just shows up at the end and is like magnus you've you've really proven yourself here you could you yourself can be the sword of summer you know some shit Mag- like that. you've really you've proven yourself on the standalone adventure now you can join the fucking rick Ryder mythology avengers for trials of apollo or whatever the fuck oh god oh, that would be <laughs> interesting if that's what trials of apollo is just like all the fucking like main characters of the previous series coming together that'd be interesting that'd be kind of cool actually um i know this this series has been increasingly mcuified but wait we didn't even I'm... talk about this yet first yes. mcu mention happened here this is this is the one that he gets, and he's burned it pretty early. I think we said we. I think we gave him two. I think we said he has two TUs across the entire series mm-hmm. because you know MCU is a pretty big cultural thing around the time. Uh huh. 
but he has used his first one when Magnus, uh, uh, Magnus references, yeah, I know a bit about Thor. That's that guy that has the movies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, fucking Randolph comes back and is like, those are horribly inaccurate. Those don't portray anything from the actual mythology, etc. And I think that's like, you're allowed to do that. That's fine. Especially because, like, kids picking up these books and looking at them will probably have, like, the MCU stuff, like, rattling around in their heads. Yeah. And I think that's... That's maybe even a smart way from, like, the educational perspective to, like, let these kids know in advance, hey, you'll learn some facts about this that are more accurate than what's in the Marvel movies, and you can, like, smugly tell your friends about them. Yes, this is Rick Riordan's teacher mode. <laughs> uh, we should, I, we, I want to talk more about the battle, but we should talk about what happens right before the battle, which is pulling the sword from the, like, the, the river or the ocean. Magnus has fucking Ultra Hand from Tears of the Kingdom. That's exactly what I was imagining this as. <laughs> yeah. He, he like, because this is set in, like, the dead of winter. Yeah. Um, he's imagining himself, like, holding his hand over the river, and a bigger hand appear like, starts to make an imprint in the snow and the ice and, like, fall through into the water, and he can, like, magnesis the sword up. <laughs> I think, like, connecting it back to what we were talking about earlier with, like, how much does Magnus have in connection to this rich family? Like, he's still just a kid who lives on the streets, right? Uh, what What is his inheritance from apparently being a Norse demigod? It's this piece of shit sword. I think I, I have to imagine that this is, like, maybe even an intentional point of contrast with Percy, who, like, on his first day out, gets riptide. He gets this fucking glowing celestial bronze sword that can like turn into a pen and comes back to him whenever he loses it. And Magnus gets this just absolute piece of fucking garbage. Yes, because nothing yes. ever goes right for him. My my guess for the arc of the story is that like you know it'll be restored. It's either the quest will be like we have to restore this sword. Yeah. Uh, or like it'll be. I I just think this is. There I assume this a- is the titular sword of summer. I have to assume so. And I think that, like, first six chapters, we have the Sword of Summer. That is not something that happens a lot in these Rick Riordan books, right? Yeah, usually Uh, they're named after the thing you have to go on a quest concerning. Yeah. And I'm interested in, like, what that means for the narrative. Like, does this now mean that Magnus is going to be on the defensive the whole time? Um, Yeah, this... This is like if fucking Percy lucked into finding the Master Bolt like right at the start of Lightning Thief and had to spend the rest of the book playing Keep Away from Kronos or something. And well, no spoilers, but that kind of is what's happening in Lightning Thief. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, that's 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 they get it in Tartarus. It's fine. It's not the same thing. Mm, doesn't Ares give it to them? He gives them the backpack, which Kronos uh, then puts it into uh, when he drags Grover uh, almost into Tartarus. I thought it already had the lightning bolt, the master bolt in it because Ares stole it. Ares, no, no, I wait. No, because the bag gets heavier after they, uh, after they encounter Kronos. And that's how they know the master bolt's in there. That's not like a movie thing or like a... It's been so fucking long since we've read Lightning Thief. <laughs> it, it's been years now. <laughs> I don't know. I really need I, to do that, Riri's. But either way, you know, this is, this is substantively substantively different than anything yeah. we've gotten before in terms of like this is the titular thing we we have it what are we gonna do with it right yeah unless in the next chapter search steals it and then there's a quest about getting it back and yeah that could be it i mean, so it fucking kills magnus and takes it 
Oh, oh, that's pretty possible, actually. I <laughs> maybe we should have done a seven chapter episode. <laughs> uh, um, Sert's fucking cool. Sert, fuck yeah, this is I. This is a cool ass villain. He feels very much like Set. I think. Yeah. Because Set kind of had the whole like smooth, besuited villain thing going on, but Set was kind of horribly mishandled. So yeah. He's like smoother than Set. He's smooth yeah. like like I don't know. He he's smooth like the fucking obsidian. He's smooth like for like uh like solidified lava. Um he has this like uh, I think he's described as like Sat like he's said over and over again as like Satan's like uh fashion advisor. <laughs> Yeah, fucking Magnus is like, oh, this is what, uh, like, Satan would dress like. He looks so classy. And then he rethinks it. It's like, no, no, this guy's too classy for that. This is Satan's fashion consultant. It, I, that's just, like, I really like that as a description. Yeah. Um, and... Do you reckon he's, do you reckon he's mates with Caron? He might be. I, They're both underworld cool. guys who wear, like, expensive Italian suits. Is he an underworld guy? I, I don't know. I don't know. Fire giant. Hell. Yeah, so... Well, I guess hell's not, a... not like that in Norse mythology. Uh-huh. We we learned that he's not like a god. He's he's a giant is what mm-hmm. he is. Um and I think it'd be really funny um if Rick Riordan backed himself into the fuck the next series I write also has to have the villains be the giants. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's that's another uh vote for like Annabeth having to show up and just like be sitting with her head in her hands like no fuck not again. <laughs> oh god that i uh that makes me want it to happen now this there's something in here that's fairly innocuous but it's just made incredibly funny by having read it back to back with um uh demigods and magicians Uh uh-huh which is uh blitz yells this isn't just any fire giant this is the black one uh Uh and Kind of Magnus instantly deflects from what you would think from him yelling that by saying what as opposed to the yellow one to kind of deflect away from like the reading of Blitz being racist. Uh-huh. And I just think that's very funny after we've read Demigods and Magicians where Percy says the word Half-Blood and Carter instantly assumes he's racist. <laughs> there is something happening. There's something very intentionally not happening with that here actually <laughs> in a way that's like Rick Ryden understands the optics of what his characters are saying. Like, Absolutely. Scoot that I mean, along. I mean, that probably I mean, it even makes sense in context. I would imagine that Carter is more sensitive to hearing anything about that than Magnus. No, yeah, Magnus is some <laughs> white kid, right? Yeah. Uh, I just think it's very funny. <laughs> it is It is funny. Um, now, Blitz and Hearth, they do, they do a funny little attack on Cert. Uh-huh. Um... And this is the moment where it's like, okay, if if we didn't realize it before when Blitz disappeared like a vampire or Hearth appeared atop a statue to give mysterious like warnings to Magnus, then this is he the moment where you're like... Uh-huh. He wasn't on top of the statue, he was standing under it. Oh, I was imagining him like standing on top of the statue like a Naruto character. That is cooler. Um, I I guess Magnus probably would have commented on that more than he did, <laughs> than I assumed he did. Maybe this is Dolphaf. Maybe he climbs on top of Viking statues. Um, <laughs> I I really just enjoy um this like no sorry if, if those things didn't tip you off, then this is the moment where you're like okay they are 
something magical that is mm-hmm. here to pr- that is here to like act in that role for Magnus, right? Yeah, definitely. Because they and, go in with the the like shitty toys and don't get instantly killed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I Magnus really has this like condescending view of them. To be honest, <laughs> he's like, "Oh, these sweet guys must have really wanted to protect me, so they did a smash and grab on the on the nearest toy store and came to fight." They they didn't realize that the weapons weren't actually real weapons. Oh, those crazy homeless guys! It, he it's, seems to say. Rick Riordan cannot escape this, to be honest. Like, <laughs> he could if he tried, but he can't because he thinks it's, it's funny. Yeah, I guess I guess there is maybe like a minor improvement in that this still sucks, but we're at least supposed to view it as endearing rather than weird and gross. Yeah, because these are like kind of Magnus's family he's had. Yeah. Um, which I, I hope we get more into that. I want them to like have a dynamic together. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I want to see his dads to get uh, his mom and dad in action. Which also the the this ends on a a big character beat for Magnus, like an important character beat for like who he's been up to this point. Mm-hmm. Which is that Blitz says like you know get out of here, we're gonna protect you, and Magnus says like no, I'm gonna protect. You. Like you run away, you take uh, the injured. I'm going to fight, and. Mm-hmm. I think that is, like, that for who Magnus has been up to this point, which is a guy whose main thing is to run away. Yeah. Um, I think that that is like, this is development. This is him making a choice actively to do the thing that goes against his instincts. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily think it hits that hard because there's nothing especially unique about this as a character beat. Also, we've known him for six chapters at this point. Well, that, and also just, like, there's nothing unique among Riordan's work about the character who stands up and fights for their friends throughout, like, no matter the (laughs) odds, right? The character who was previously kind of snarky and dismissive and kind of only out for themselves, finally learning to fight for their friends. Again, we're back to Leo. We're back to Leo for sure. And we we Um, love Leo on this show. However, we we already have a Leo. He's he's called Leo. Yes, yes, he's not called... Mio, uh, <laughs> M- Mugio. Uh, like these are just shit I, names that you're coming up with now. Calypso's gonna be pissed. Scratching my chin thin- thoughtfully. Um, <laughs> I I I guess I just mean like it's a good beat. It's not necessarily one that is ultra compelling because it's not yeah, very unique. Definitely. Uh, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say with these chapters? Oh, uh, important detail about Magnus. Uh-huh. Uh, Magnus, he's a man after my own heart. He's a Doctor Who appreciator. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about this. Unless this is a fucking British localization, which would be the funniest shit in the world. <laughs> uh, but it's it's not a major detail. Uh, Magnus just mentions that um, there's some features on this bridge that look like salt and pepper pots that he has always thought look like Daleks because he is a Doctor Who guy who will, like go into public libraries and like use the computers to like get on bbc iplayer and watch doctor who yeah no that isn't that's uh, i think in both versions yeah that i him being just a little nerd and i that's this works as both like a little characterization thing right like he he's a doctor who kid but also like 
it's a glimpse into his life outside of what we've seen so far. It's like another aspect of like, hey, I if I want to have some entertainment, I've got to like watch the TVs that are playing. I've got to go into the library, right? Yeah. I, I think this I think that's actually a really good little bit. Uh do you want to talk about the covers? Yeah, let's do let's go. How are you feeling about uh your British cover you've got? Uh uh, it's all right. It's I, I've seen worse. Is my take basically? It's yeah. it's very bland. I think is the main problem with it. There's nothing especially wrong with it, but like, it is kind of Magnus foregrounded against like a big firewolf. I see one of the ones that killed his mom, uh, and the wolf like takes up the entire frame in a way that kind of just washes out any other detail. Yeah, it's uh. <laughs> It's it's a very CGI dogman core. Um, <laughs> this is not quite as bad as the CGI dogman, thankfully. No, it actually it looks decent, right? Yeah. Uh, and Magnus here, he's just like he's you know kind of scraggly. He's got a cool sword which is wrapped in the flames. Uh, it is yeah. it is definitely the the thing that these fucking covers always do, where it's like an actual. It's just a, a real ass person with a filter over them, but like. The way that the lighting contrasts with the wolf is, like, enough that it's, like, he's silhouetted enough that you can't see that as much. Uh-huh. Talking, speaking of real-ass people, I think, uh, the Italian cover. Oh, no. Why Why does he look like Ryan Gosling as Ken was left in the microwave for too long? <laughs> You're right. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, so this is Magnus Chase, uh, uh, La Spada del... Guerriero, guerriero. Flawless. Thank you, thank you. A spada del guerriero. <laughs> uh, you have to really hit the ger, geri, geri, because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a glutenative, I think. Yeah, we we picked up on a lot of Italian, I think, during the uh, Roman sections of Heroes of Olympus. Uh huh. Yeah, he. This is like a little male model got dropped in the lake. And this is, I think, the scene of the bridge being destroyed. We didn't talk about that, but him talking about, like, oh, it looks like these fucking, like, just these blasts of destruction are honing in on me is really, is, like, this really good little bit. Yeah, there's just, Uh, like, the storm coming towards him. I, this is a nothing cover. This is absolutely nothing. Now, one that maybe is something, the Dutch cover... Why never... are there so? I swear there aren't this many localized covers for the other books. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> I don't know. There might be, and we just never looked into it well enough. Oh, this is a good one. Yeah, I like this one. So this is Magnus. Uh, or I guess I described the last one. You can do, or no, you described the last one. So this this is Magnus um, standing on some sort of platform above water, clouds. It's kind of ambiguous. Just looking out over Boston. Uh, I do think it'd be very, very funny if he like accidentally ends up on Mount Olympus, and that's where he is on this cover. Uh, he's wearing an orange shirt, right? So maybe he's, <laughs> maybe he went to Camp Half Blood. <laughs> he goes there for a couple of chapters, and then they realize he's not a Greek demigod, so they have to kick him out and wipe his memory, and it never <laughs> comes up again. The oh, fuck, that's funny. <laughs> um, now, that's that's the that's the uh, the Dutch cover. Uh huh. <laughs> you ready for more local covers? Yeah, let's go. Swedish cover. Swedish? Are you fucking kidding? Oh, this is a good one. This, this is, is like Mag- this is a good uh-huh. version of the one that I've got. Yeah, it is. It's go ahead, describe it. This is uh, it's 
again magnus foregrounded against that big wolf but the wolf is kind of like in a kind of cool blue instead with like these piercing orange eyes and like the moon right over its forehead and magnus is like holding holding up the sword of summer like it's a fucking pickup that he's found in zelda it's like hovering above his hand but i uh, really he's actually Uh... been drawn as a little a little blonde boy as opposed to a fucking photograph so it could be worse I really like the art style here. Like, I think this is, like... It's so reminiscent of so many, like, of-the-era young adult fantasy novels. Mm. Like, or maybe even, like, kind of older, like, early 2000s, late 2000s, like, fantasy novels. To the point that just, like, really... I This is a very, like, City of Ember-ass cover to me. Yeah. This is a Cassandra Clare-ass cover. God, I don't. I feel like it's a little bit early. Even maybe not. I feel like it's better than a Cassandra Clare cover, though. I have no, <laughs> I have no reckoning of that. What that means? Um, City of Ember. Did you ever read those? I. I'll be honest. That's just like a string of words you said that sound like a YA series to me, and I just I agree with you. We'll have to consider those at some point. Uh, Interesting. If that if as a follow up series, maybe. Uh, Chinese cover. China, fucking hell. <laughs> everyone's just screaming in this cover <laughs> me when my dogs are fighting so this is this is <laughs> this is a wolf and i don't know what animal this is maybe a tiger or a lion or something snow leopard maybe just like screaming at each other made of like the earth made of like grass um one one of them with eyes of blue, one of them with eyes of red, bearing their fangs at one another. Uh, Magnus stands behind them, looking kind of horrified, kind of just like he, uh, like, I don't know, has a sock stuffed in his mouth, a black sock. <laughs> um, and He's actually just wearing his... very thick uh, black lip liner. <laughs> holding a sword up. He looks like 12. Um, <laughs> and behind him is what I assume is the world tree. Uh-huh. Uh, three more, three more. Uh, oh my god, this is way more than we've ever had before. Also, uh, just an observation that um, the wolf on my cover has blue eyes, and the wolf on the Swedish cover had orange eyes, so I assume that those are two different wolves. Interesting. Well, Because we can see and... them both on the Chinese cover. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that could be cool. The, the multiple wolves. Uh, so this is the Russian cover. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Fuck, this one's funny. <laughs> oh my god, I love this one. <laughs> my god, Blackjack, he's back. Okay, tell tell us everything about this one, Jane. Uh, this this one seems to feature Magnus uh, riding on the back of a Pegasus with uh, some lady in armor up front. Maybe a, Va- like, maybe a Valkyrie? Maybe a Valkyrie, uh, yeah, with like a big spear... And they're kind of riding towards the camera and they're both kind of giving the viewer a knowing look. But also above them is just like a stock image of an angry man with a fire texture over it. <laughs> and he's just like streaking across the sky. He's, he's got like, like a big dragon claw. He's screaming in agony because he's on fire. He looks like he's going, Aah! This is the sun from the Teletubbies after it grows up. <laughs> Fuck, you're right. <laughs> Okay, okay, two more. Let's go through this. All right, so this is the... This is the Bulgarian cover. What the fuck? Um, this is a, a Oh, I like this. One. 
Yeah, I like this one. This is Magnus back turned, so you just see his, you know, his his long hair mm-hmm. sort of flowing around. Uh, he's got his sword wielded, um, and there's like wisps of mist or magic all around him while he is facing down the blue-eyed wolf with like an arrow on its head. I like I like the kind of soft pastel-y kind of colors that this has got going on. Agreed. Now, final one. This is my cover. This is uh, just the original uh, U.S. cover, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or probably international cover. Or maybe, I don't know which one is international. I mean, apparently there is no international cover. Every fucking country gets their own. Yeah. Oh, this yeah, this is a good cover. I, I, I actually, um, for the upcoming Moonshot Direct, I'm pretty sure that like one of the images that I ripped to use in that uh, was like derived from this cover. Yeah, so we've got... It's pretty similar to a lot of the ones before. It's Magnus. Uh, he looks very like. How would you describe his expression here? Uh, befuddled. He's befuddled. Discombobulated. By his sword. Yeah. He's, Why is he's this floating? Con- he says. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> he's in like kind of frumpy clothes that looks like that look like they've been worn it worn for I mean maybe a couple weeks. Uh-huh, uh huh. I mean that seems right. He's standing up like it looks more like the wolf the blue-eyed wolf is like guarding him yeah um, it's not attacking him he's, he's fighting them in most of the covers except this one and its body seems to be made of the same like wisps of mist or air or whatever that have been like on a lot of these covers mm-hmm. uh and we also see some like some some lines indicating a general a general feeling like that in the background uh behind the what i assume again is the world tree which mm-hmm. looks gnarled as fuck yeah it's got like it's got like norse runes on it as well Oh, Which indicates right, yeah. that either it's the world tree or like some neo-Nazi bikers hanging around this tree. You think we're going to get any neo-Nazis <laughs> in the series, Jane? I wonder. Oh, God. <laughs> it's not impossible. I, I mean, yeah, especially because like book three will have come out like after like Charlottesville and stuff. And I oh, feel Christ. like I feel like Rick Ryder might go there. He might. Um... Well, okay. Uh, <laughs> you want to do not cis hat? Let's do not cis hat. This Magnus Chase character is not cis hat. I have it. I unless you have one immediately, I have a slam dunk. Hit me. Hearth and Blitz. Oh, absolutely. They they are. It's it's not just described. You know, it's not like they're each his dad. They are his two, his mom and dad. They are his two dads. That I I think specifically them being positioned as his mom and dad makes it seem so romantic. Actually, yeah, definitely. Like this is this is a found family. This is a gay ass found family. Absolutely, I think that's that's just true and correct. Uh, I mean the there's an obvious choice here. Uh, but I'm, I'm flipping through all the... We don't meet a lot of characters in these chapters, so I might have to just go with the obvious one. Do it. Do the obvious one. Uh, the obvious one is, of course, Magnus himself. You know, he's uh, he's, a, he's a kid with a bad relationship with his family to the point where he's been, like, driven out of his home, which is an unfortunately very common experience for queer kids. Uh, also, you know, he's an American kid in, like, the early to mid-2010s who's into Doctor Who, which is a very, like, Tumblr-ass kid trait to have. So I think like all all signs are pointing to Magnus being some flavor of queer. I could see Magnus like Magnus like trans guy Magnus. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be very funny if like that was why Annabeth like doesn't recognize him or something. <laughs> That'd be funny. Yeah. 
All right, I guess that's it. I guess that's Magnus Chase. I'm excited. Yeah, this this was good. What if this is the best Rick Riordan series? I I would I I would like to hope that it is. This feels like it could be just like, you know, kind of back to basics a little bit, very breezy, just the three books instead of like a big five book epic bogged down in like the lore of the franchise or like Kane Chronicles, which was bad. You know, maybe, maybe this is like the Kane Chronicles, but good. I have some good news for you, Jane. And these books only get shorter. They don't get <laughs> I, they don't get longer as they go on. They get shorter. Yeah, I was actually I was surprised by that because my my copies of all the uh, Trials of Apollo's book uh, books uh, came with my Magnus Chase ones, and those are some slim ass tomes compared to Heroes of Olympus. Yeah, I I gotta say I'm excited for that. Yeah, definitely. Uh our intro and outro is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera at Elizabeth underscore Ian on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. You can find us on moonshotpods.com or uh, goodfuckingpodcast.com. Look out next Wednesday after this comes out for the Moonshot Direct where we'll be announcing a <laughs> bunch of... Uh, a bunch of really good upcoming things. Uh, a bunch of good upcoming, upcoming things and also some stuff that already happened because it got delayed. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, you will see. An, we, we, we put together something nice. We put together something nice, I think. You'll, you'll want to see it, I think. You can find us on twitter.com, thumb.com, co-host.com, slash uh, unwise girls. We've got uh, links to our episode. We've got visual companions updates when episodes come out we'll have a visual companion for this one for sure with all the book covers we fucking talked about yeah uh, um, god if someone goes back to listen to this episode in retrospect and has to like scroll through our entire twitter to find those they're gonna hate us so much let's <laughs> go through our media t- and actually every episode we t- post probably has a media tab entry I'm, I'm realizing um because it has the fucking link um uh-huh. i don't know i, I don't think I they do put- actually oh okay i guess i could put the episodes in the description the intro sorry i guess i could put the images in the description of the episode maybe i don't know how to do that though yeah that's scary that's we may scary. look into you it know, you'll you'll know if we did that when you listen to this yeah just check the twitter if it's not there uh-huh. uh and also our own personal socials we have ways for you to support us number one tell a friend about us that is so so good it really helps if you have someone who you think likes magnus chase someone who likes required and someone who's just curious tell tell them about our podcast if someone you to, who's into like norse pathology in a non-nazi way that'd be cool or maybe in a nazi way help let's let's de-radicalize this person i don't think we're i think <laughs> i don't don't direct nazis at us we're, we're two trans women are just living our, our best lives <laughs> Uh, but if you want to give a five star rating and review, then you can do that on your podcast app of choice. Um, <laughs> uh, or you can go and support us monetarily at patreon.com slash unwisegirls, where for a dollar a month, you get the discord role of certified chaser. <laughs> Jacqueline, Fuck. you're an extremely funny person. <laughs> Thank you. For $3 a month, you get the Discord roll of Mid-Guardian, uh, <laughs> as well as all of our bonus content. Uh, yeah, we have just uh, wrapped up our discussion and analysis of the Homestuck epilogues. If you are 
interested in hearing like a full breakdown of those from two people who are like not actually that negative on them which seems to be like the minority take on them uh check that out uh it's going to be a lot of like bumming around on the bonus show for the next little while as we just kind of figure out what we're going to do next but if you would like to listen to us just like chill and hang out then uh come listen to that yeah, we've done a lot of other stuff too. We we uh, I mean, uh, we've got years of backlog at this point, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, which you can really just pick through at your own your own perusal. And for five dollars a month, you get the Discord roll of Thor's hammered, uh, as well as all of our <laughs> bonus content and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Thor's hammered sounds like that is both like a type of person and also a statement of fact. Uh huh. Th- Thor's hammered. Odin. Odin's sticked what, what the fuck does odin do does he have a stick i i think he has a bird loki's tricked <laughs> uh thank you at the end of every episode uh, yes this week we'd like to thank isle of sammy's great danny tana brie and erica thank you everyone thank you and as we always say at the end of every single episode see you next week camp half blood see you next week camp half blood bye bye dear Catherine. I have great hopes for this year's episode of I'll Be Pod for Castmas, though not great expectations, which might, like the cherry orchard, have to wait for another year. This Christmas in July, we'll be discussing Jane Austen's persuasion alongside what Jane Austen might call the natural sequel of an unnatural beginning. That is, the Netflix Christmas special, The Princess Switch 2, Switched Again! I'm Juliet. And I'm Catherine. And we're I'll Be Pod for Castmas, a seasonal podcast where we overanalyze Christmas pop songs and movies. Put them into conversation with some unlikely pieces of literature. Don't be a cringe! Join us on I'll Be Pod for Castmas on the Moonshot Podcast Network.